You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by HuntStand. HuntStand is the number one hunting app in the country, and at only $29.99, HuntStand offers a ton of functionality for hunters all over the country. Whether you own your own property or strictly hunt public, you can choose from over a dozen base maps, view property ownership information, 3D mapping, local weather, log your sightings and harvest, as well as use their trail cam management software, and print maps from your hunt areas. Download it today at the Apple App Store or Google Play. Hunt Stand. Upgrade your arsenal. When in the field, accuracy and precision count. That's why we switch our slug guns to rifle barrels, tune our arrows, and use a fish finder on the water. But why should our drive for control end there? The Tappacue line of meat probes gives an instantaneous look at the temperatures of our prized meals, both internal and the cooking chamber. Tappacue uses sturdy hardware made and assembled here in the U.S., along with their user-friendly, sophisticated software that connects to your smart device. Whether it's a traditional corded probe or the new cordless air probes that give you a wealth of freedom where wires would just get in the way. Adding a Tappacue meat probe can significantly help in getting to that medium rare on venison or waterfowl, ensuring your upland bird stays moist, or even charting your long cooks on a smoker. Visit tappacue.com or find the link in the show notes and use the code HUNT10, all uppercase, at checkout to save 10%. Adding a probe to your kit can make you one tap away from your cue. Welcome to the Huntivore Podcast, powered by Sportsman's Nation, where we celebrate the hunting and fishing lifestyle through the utilization and consumption of our wild game. No egos. Fork in hand, beer in the other. No status. A piece of red meat on a hot grill and turn it into a burnt offering. Just catch it, cut it, cook it. This is episode 77, Homemade Umami Bop. On this episode of The Huntivore, we take a culinary deep dive on a topic of wanting to get the most flavor bang from our wild game, or any other protein that you're cooking, by the way. What is it? How can we taste umami? And most importantly, how can you use it on your food? Nick goes into detail about the process of making your own umami seasoning shake that will blow your mind. So let's get cooking. Well, hey, folks, again, another beautiful evening here in Michigan. 
Uh, lots of heat during the day, but it definitely does cool off at night. We had a nice thunderstorm that came through last night. Unfortunately, all the windows were down in my truck, so it's a swampy mess. So we've been dealing with that as uh, we go along. Just another lesson learned to when you park your vehicle outside to make sure you always, no matter what you think it's going to do at night, just roll the windows up. But that's neither here nor there, so we're letting that dry out. And uh, yeah, just got done with a good swim with the boys And it's just another amazing July evening here in Michigan. Things are picking up, though. Like, I am feeling a little bit of the summer wane into what eventually will be the the cooling of fall. I know we still have a couple months going on. We are at the tail end here of July, and we still have a whole thing of August and September. And then opening day doesn't happen here until October in Michigan, but at the same time, like they feel like there's just this, this under, like this cool breeze just hit every sportsman that's out there and that it just whispers, are you ready? You know, did you hear it? I think I heard it because it was, it it came off the trees and it ripped across the cornfield and it just hit the back of my neck and just said, are you ready? Have you been shooting your bow? Well, not as much as I should have. Now, we did get done with the Total Archer Challenge, which was an absolute blast. My goal from that whole event here in in June was to walk away with all the arrows that I had. Shout out to the Boga guys, Jared specifically, thinking that, hey, when you go to these events, you're not supposed to lose any arrows. And so I took up the challenge I technically only lost one. I did end up breaking four other ones, four or five, I can't remember. But at the same time, like, I know where they're at. And in fact, a couple of them I got to, you know, pull out of a side of a tree and uh, bring it along with me. Uh, You know, you got those few arrows that are bent, so you'd have the one where you pull it out of the quiver. Nope, put that back in. We need the good one to pull out. Or it would just completely shatter, and so I would walk away with the fletching and the knock, and that would be about it from that arrow. So I know there were four completely lost soldiers, and then one MIA, where I shot under the belly of the target, and I saw a cloud of dust, and I saw it flick off up into the woods. We looked, we looked, we looked, but it just, I I couldn't find it. And, you know, time is of the essence when you're at that event. We didn't want to keep the people behind us, plus we had a good thing going. So it was like, well, got to call my losses. And that was the only MIA of the trip. So ultimately, I felt really good shooting the the Prime Black with those Easton 6.5s. I'm taking the rest of them because I still have a healthy healthy batch um, the rest of those are going to be ending up for some more Target, some more 3D, and for the paper come this winter. So I really do like that setup. Um, it's a nice flat shooting arrow. Uh, really does a good job. But then it's with that whisper hitting the back of my neck, I thought it's it's time to get the hunting rig ready. And like many of you know, I, I did drink the... Uh, 
the ranch fairy Kool-Aid, or I sniff the ranch, the ranch fairy dust. I think that's how that goes. And really jived in deep to the heavy arrow, heavy FOC. So the 650 grain arrows have been assembled. They have gone through paper on the prime black, and I'm getting bullet holes. So I'm now working on the site, working those in. So I got 20, 30, 40 Feeling fairly good. I think I got those pins right where I need them, and we're gonna we're gonna take the extra step. And I've got the time to play, so we're gonna make it so that I can then have the roller uh, work on the site, so that I can then reach out to I don't know sixty, seventy, maybe it reaches eighty with clearance. I I'm not sure. I kind of want to stretch those arrows out just for the sake of practice, because come October. They are deadly. I've seen them already in action before, and they're going to be running out of uh, a higher-end bow, so I'm, I'm, I'm excited for that whole process to begin. So that's where I'm at on the deer side of things. Um, with the pool at the house, we've, we've not really had the chance to head out onto the lake and chase bluegills. I know we had a great discussion with Lee and I'm keeping that in the back of my head as far as getting out there and seeing if I can't get some late summer bluegills going deep, going about 20 feet, seeing if we can't pull them off the bottom. But we just haven't had that that opportunity. Um, we've been having fun as a family and I've been tinkering here at the house. So that's been mainly what's been up. And so that what's, that's what brings us to, to tonight is the tinkering that has happened in the kitchen. Um, We're going to get deep tonight. We're going to not stay uh, specifically on maybe how you cook a certain cook, or excuse me, cook a certain cut. Or we're not going to stay in the realm of just venison or just turkey or just whatever cut of meat. No, we're we're talking technique here, and actually we're going to get into a little bit of science. Um, and when I say science, I should have my evidence up here in front of me. However, I have bad connection with my internet, so you're just going to have to take my word. I'm not going to be able to give you the exact website that I'm getting this information from, but that will come in due time. Let's see if I can't get it in the notes like a good podcaster and make sure that I put those on there. But tonight we're going to be talking about umami. Umami was adopted by, again, this is where I wish I had my evidence in front of me, adopted by somebody as our, as a, as a legitimate sense on our tongue, that we have receptors that find the umami flavor profile. And our tongue can sense sweet, bitter, sour, salty, each section has that, and it plays a delicate balance when it comes to when we eat food. That if things are seasoned correctly, they are good, they are pleasing to our palate, and when they are not, or they are underbalanced, we then get um, stuff that doesn't taste necessarily quite right. Or in the sake of being a kid, and you really love that sour uh, Profile, they load up the citric acid on some of those like lemon heads or the warheads, 
You guys remember those? That's like a blast back to middle school. The warheads where you'd pop it in your mouth and it'd you know, turn your lips sideways and you could barely talk until you got through to the sweet layer that was underneath. It was just a fascination we had with anything sour or I think even everything with everything like super heat. If we can find a way to pack more capsaicin into a single droplet, like that's what people look for. Like how hot can I take? And I'm going to, I'm going to try and eat that. So there are times where we truly try to flip that flavor profile to make things unappealing. But today we're looking at things to at ways to make things appealing. And so umami is that like next level, uh, flavor profile that's been added. I want to say I read that it was in 2002 that it was adopted that uh, someone in the medical field or someone in the food field finally said, like, yeah, we've identified receptors for that. And umami is a Japanese term for, like, always delicious. I, I don't have the break... Again, I don't have the breakdown for you, but it's it's broken down into that this is the essence of delicious. Like, this is what makes things good. And even though we may here in the States haven't had the the way to say uh, or to, to coin this, we've adopted that Japanese phrase, phrase of umami or savory. That's really how it kind of like plays out that um, anything that's like super meaty or uh, savory, it's not necessarily salty, but it's got that like hearty uh, rich taste to it and it coats the inside of your mouth. That's that's that umami that the Japanese were talking about. And what they have approached it on is when they were making their broths and their stews, they were really focusing on bringing in a little bit of that saltiness. They were always using really fatty cuts to work into their broths. They were working with a lot of sea life to uh, bring that in. So there's a lot of fats that are going into what they were making. And even in their fermented soy, uh, whether it be soy sauce or whether it be the kimchi that they made or any other fermented piece of either soy or fish or whatever they were doing, the whole approach was that is not to just like take a huge spoonful of that and eat it and be like, mm, that's delicious. No, because that's, that's basically the potent essence of what they're trying to get. That is then Im- imposed into the broth or then watered down into the soup or added into the rice. And that's where it gave that rich taste that we were looking for. Kind of like how we take uh, stock and we'll we'll simmer it all the way down until like it's a gelatin and then we save that. And you don't just like eat that little piece of gelatin. That's, that is so far so much concentrated that it's like that's that's not worth it but dropping that into a stew that you're making or into a batch of you know chili or whatever that is going to then up that ante into what you're trying to do so this whole idea about umami is not new but it's now become something that we can play with it's become something that within the realm of the home kitchen we now have access to using that. And when I say that is, is that there's been some things that have hit the market recently and stuff that maybe has scared uh, off other consumers. Mainly in the fact that umami does play around with the idea that they're going to use this, this compound called monosodium glutamate. What we know here in the States as MSG. 
and I know that's a buzzword. You know, you know. Hold on a second. Don't don't immediately shut this off. But MSG is a compound that then triggers the umami response within our taste receptors. There's been a lot of speculation about MSG and its use. Is it overused? Is it gonna cause problems? You know, it's a uh, a synthetic product that they throw onto our our food that then gives us cancer or then uh, you know ruins us or or gives us diabetes or or high high blood pressure. And I know there's there's so many things out there that say that, but at the same time, like to go back and to really look at what's going on in this process to understand umami and to understand monosodium glutamate being MSG, that this might be a tool that we can use to make our dishes taste better. I know that's an awful lot that I just threw out. But the idea is is that I came across a couple ways that the home cook or the gardener or that somebody that's trying to up their flavor profile on any of their venison or even their domestic stuff, heck, even their popcorn, this is something that we could use that isn't going to scare you away. That we're dealing with a natural compound here. We're dealing with a naturally occurring chemical inside of plants and food products that can make our food just explode with flavor. We don't have to add more salt to get that. We don't have to add more seasonings. We just need to know how to play the balance to make things taste absolutely delicious. And so that led me on my journey. Uh, after I saw a video from, what is it? Is it Gagu or Guga? Uh, he's on YouTube. You'll have to check him out. Uh, Guga Foods or Gagu Foods. And he's excellent when it comes to preparing domestic steaks. Um, I want to say that he's Latin descent. And if you knew anything about Brazil, Brazil has a really rich culture when it comes to raising cattle. And they have got a whole set of practices when it comes to preparing beef that really just kind of blows some of the stuff that we've seen out of the water. They do an incredible job with different cuts. I'm thinking specifically the sirloin cap. They do an amazing job with that, um, being able to either roast it or smoke it, but they've been able to slice that up, and they'll actually serve it on a very large skewer. And so it's almost like a steak that they hand off to you as one of these Brazilian chop houses or these Brazilian steak houses. They've got a very rich culture with, that comes with it. And this gentleman here, when he put together a YouTube uh, video, he was telling us, listen, that monosodium sodium glutamate is naturally occurring in fruits and vegetables and stuff that you have laying around the kitchen. And I didn't refute that. That was some of that was some common knowledge. But now what he did with this common knowledge is he then turned those uh, vegetables and um, some of the canned goods, and he turned that into a dried product that then was blitzed inside of either a spice grinder, coffee grinder, and brought to life a shake, a a seasoning, if you will, 
that would then amplify whatever seasonings you put on, but at the same time, just let that meat sing. It awoke your taste buds. It awoke awoke that umami reaction where your mouth just really starts to salivate and you take in all these different flavors and you are then just transported into this like amazing world where you're now engaged with your food that everything tastes the way that it should or at least it's like basically taking an acoustic guitar and plugging it into an amp and now you're just boom you're hit with much more flavor than you ever thought just like any salesman, I had to take this guy like as a grain of salt. All right, you're telling me all this like it's going to change my life. And I didn't believe it. But I knew that it was going to be fun enough and something to do to try and put the try to replicate this. You're talking it up. The people that you have on your video are really pleased by it. Now it's my turn to try that out. So what I did is I took his example and I created this shake. Now, I'm going to get into the specifics of the shake here in just a moment. But I want to tell you the reaction that I got from this is that, yes, labor-intensive. Yes, it does take a little while, and it does cause a little bit of... If you're not a patient person, basically, it's, it's going to drive you nuts. But I tried to take the patient route, and I tried to get this done. And my result was, I don't want to say earth-shattering, But at the same time, this is something that I am going to add to as many different pieces of food on my plate that I can. Whether it's going to be vegetables that I've roasted or whether it's going to be uh, potatoes that I'm either mashing or whether it's on a piece of meat that I'm going to put on. This shake does do the job of opening up flavors and really bringing things forth that makes me excited to eat the food that I've prepared for myself or have my family eat the food that I've presented for them. This shake is worth all the effort that you've put into preparing the different items and even into the time-consuming bit of blitzing it and then uh, dishing it out so into its uh, proper parts into the full shake. As I've done this research, I even found that there's a couple other people that have a number of inputs into this same idea. The folks over at Chef Steps, again, YouTube, easy way to find information, easy way to find how things are done. They took the same idea of making an umami shake, and they went about different, little, little bit different. They were adding Worcestershire sauce onto some of the items to richen them up, and they actually roasted them before putting them in the dehydrator. And I'll get into how all this is going to play in in just a little bit and how you might want to approach making yours if you choose to do this. But I don't think I'm fully done yet with the monosodium glutamate. That That's a chemical that people are really run off by. And knowing that it's a natural product, knowing that it's naturally reoccurring, in some of the items that you probably eat already, that that's going to be something that I think is going to make you understand a little bit about what is going on here, that we're not just adding chemicals onto our wild game. We're not just adding on things that are going to make it extra salty. We're trying to find ways to make the flavor sing so that we can enjoy our wild game 
even more than what we would. If we're going to take the time and effort to prepare these the right way, why don't we take the time and effort to create a seasoning to go along with it? Why? Yeah, yeah. So that now here's why I posed the question. Why does pizza taste so good? Well, most of the items that are on the list for this shake actually live on pizza on an everyday basis. So like, yeah, there's the crust. And we all know that the crust goes in. We The, the darker parts of the crust are going to have a little bit more of the flavor on there. You don't necessarily want a super bland crust on this. But then we look at the tomato sauce. And the tomato sauce that gets put on there, that is nothing but pureed uh, tomatoes that have been boiled down. Tomatoes uh, naturally make monosodium glutamate. So that's an item already that's on there. Some of the other items that go on to that, like mushrooms and onions, those are both namestays on my pizza, at least. If I've got the choice to pick my toppings, I'm going to be putting on the mushrooms and I'm going to be putting on the onions. Both of those house monosodium glutamate. I don't usually get pizza with anchovies. My brother-in-law, who's got one of those artisan pizza ovens, he enjoys putting anchovies on there, and they do. They really do a good job at uh, enriching the top of the flavor, and in fact, the anchovies themselves have monosodium glutamate on them and in them in the fermentation process of when they're in that can. So that's another additive, or excuse me, another like way that monosodium glutamate has been brought into us in a naturally reoccurring setup. Garlic, that's another one that's got monosodium glutamate. And dried seaweed. Now, this is a tough one. I do live in Michigan, and living here in the Midwest, it's really difficult to find things that aren't necessarily well-known. Or if if folks could stay inside the, you know, if they could ring up their their wagons here, they circle the wagons, and they're saying, hey, if everything can just be maple syrup and gravy, and ranch sauce, we would be all set. And then you have a few outliers who are going to try to find something different. And I, I feel like I'm one of those people. And they're like, no, 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 you, you either stay here or you go and you can't come back. So I am breaking outside of that ring. And I did. I looked for the seaweed. Unfortunately, I was not able to find the seaweed. But apparently the dried seaweed uh, in Asian cooking is another like umami bomb that is just waiting to happen. Unfortunately... I didn't find any of that. So let's let's get back onto that pizza wag. So we got tomatoes, we got mushrooms, we got onions, uh, anchovies we covered, garlic we covered, and the last one, what do you finish off your pizza with? Parmesan cheese. Parmesan has not necessarily MSG, but it has a, an amino acid that was used in the culturing of that cheese, and that amino acid actually reacts very similar to what MSG is doing. It triggers that same result. That's why we put it on pasta. That's why the Italians put it on the pizza. That's why they put it on any, anytime they can get a chance to put Parmesan on anything, they're gonna, and they're going to tell you it's the most amazing thing. And they kind of know what they're talking about. So the idea is, is by putting all these together, we essentially just made a pizza, which <laughs> in its sense is watered down umami. That everything has kind of like a saucy contexture. Nothing has been uh, dried down. That everything is, a, you know, a real saucy setup at that point. And then you got your pepperoni, you got your cheese uh, as your mozzarella, and then you eat it and you enjoy it and you love it. 
And that's why pizza is so amazing is because it has all the potential to give you the umami that you have been craving, that savoriness that just makes food amazing. So with this same setup, we take these items and in my instructions, I was told to dry them down in a food dehydrator. Luckily, I could get my hands on a dehydrator. It's actually one of the Cabela's uh, like 11 tray stand-ups, and I was able to slide in all the trays. One tray, I had thin sliced tomatoes, and I just let, let them sit directly on the, the tray itself. Mushrooms, same thing. I actually bought the pre-cut because I'm lazy, and so those were already easy to lay out onto the tray, slide that in. The onions, cut those cross lengths into into rings, and laid the intersecting rings all onto the tray itself, threw those in. The anchovies, I actually took a piece of parchment and threw that down first, and then I was able to lay out each of the individual anchovies onto there. They are potent. Um, when you go to dry this, sorry, I'm going to, I'm going to jump in right before I'm done with the recipe. When you dry this, do not dry this within your kitchen or your house. Dry it outside, dry it in a well-ventilated area because I turned my living area, my kitchen, which is attached to our living room. I turned that into basically a fish sauce, (laughs) area because it just smelled of those anchovies because of how that dehydrator is working. It's pushing air through and it just, we woke up the next morning and my wife is like, are you serious? It smells like fish in here. So do it out on your porch, do it in your covered area, do it in your garage, do it someplace other than your kitchen and your living area. But anyway, so I put those anchovies down and then garlic. The garlic one, this one I want you to really pay attention to as well because I had a difficult time drying the garlic in the in the dehydrator without slicing the cloves. So I put the cloves on there. It takes a while. This is where that patience part comes in. As I you know, opened them up, shucked them all out of their, their shells and their paper, and I laid them all on, and I just couldn't get the dried consistency that I want, and I actually ended up going back and slicing them thin, laying them back on the tray and then doing it the second time around that I did that, I got a much better result. And by doing that, making them nice and thin, they do get uh, dried out completely. They get nice and brittle because I want everything in this mix up to be brittle. In fact, I even took the Parmesan. You got to go to the gourmet section to where you got your, you got your charcuterie stuff all in your supermarket. And you do got to find like the wedge, the big wedge of Parmesan Origiano and use that. That's not to say that you probably couldn't use the already ground up stuff, but at the same time, like I wasn't really, I would, because I was experimenting, I wanted to make sure I was being consistent. So that's why I went to that route. And I wasn't, I wasn't sad that I did because then I sliced it up as thin as I could, laid that on the tray as well. And everything went in for a full, like, 24 hours at 120 degrees and just let that dry itself out. As much moisture as I could get out of it was going to be good. So I've got everything dry and now it's time to go to the spice mixer or the spice grinder, aka the everyday coffee grinder that I use in my house. Note, 
if you use the one from your house that you normally do coffee, make sure that you do the polite thing and clean it out before so that you don't end up with any coffee, any residual coffee into your umami mix, which I don't think it would necessarily hurt anything. But what would hurt something is that if you don't rinse it and wipe it out for the next time that you leave that maybe anchoviness into your spice mixer as you put it back for the coffee use, that might not help you for the next day. So I was careful to make sure that I wiped things out, gave everything a good rinse, and I returned a clean product to that. Um, I know that uh, over there at the Food Network, Alton Brown will tell you just to get another one so that you have one for spices and stuff that we're doing now, and then one for your coffee. But I was just a little cheap, and I was a little lazy, and I just use all what I had. So all six of those ingredients went into individually into this uh, into this blitzer until I got a very fine consistency. The problem is I, I also played with that. I was like, do I want it granular? Do I want it to be like a powder? And I kind of came down to like, you know, fine. You can't go, uh, you can't go too fine on this, uh, this specific thing. So the idea is fine is fine. <laughs> if I wasn't going to give it any sort of description. Um, actually, I, I made one batch that was kind of like bigger and granular, and I had a tough time shaking it onto things. So I actually poured it back in to the, the coffee grinder and ground the whole thing together into a finer mix. And I was very pleased with how I was then able to put that onto my different dishes that, that I'll explain here in a little bit. But by getting everything into a fine mix and you've got them separated in each of their items, you are then able then to combine all of them into an individual shake. And so the instructions again given on the YouTube channel was give uh, equal parts all the way around. So I grabbed a tablespoon and I took a tablespoon of tomato powder, a tablespoon of mushroom powder, onion powder powdered Parmesan, the powdered up anchovies, and the garlic. And I just started working my way around, and, you know, one a piece, and then, all right, now we're round two, and then we're round three. And I played that until I ran out of the first item, which is going to be most likely, if you end up doing this, your garlic. Um, garlic ran out first. I had the most out of the mushrooms. Maybe that was because I put in too much that I thought I was going to. Second to go was tomatoes. And then followed by the anchovies and then Parmesan. The mushrooms and onions really produce a hefty amount of uh, powdered product, whereas the other ones really kind of like, I mean, losing a lot of that water really shrunk them down. So be prepared to run out of one of those. What I ended up doing was then refrigerating the excess and then dehydrating the stuff that I was missing so that I could finish out uh, that batch that I had. Um Altogether, I think I used a total of like eight vine-ripened tomatoes and uh, two trays of mushrooms. I think I used two full onions, a wedge of Parmesan, two cans of anchovies, and two full heads of garlic. You want to talk about monotonous. Go ahead and clean and then slice two heads of garlic. Man, that's going to test your patience. Right there. So I've got all those items now dried out, blitzed up in their individual, and now measured into this shake. 
And that's where I would then put it on the shelf and really kind of thought about it for a night. I was like, man, so I've made this and I've been instructed that this is going to make things that are savory even more savory. It's going to really add a boost of delicious to whatever I'm I'm trying to make. I got backstrap. I'm going to pull some backstrap out. And I'm going to use this and really try to put a taste test together. We're going to do one with and one without. And I say all this because in between me talking about this, finishing this, and just letting it sit overnight, I had to get up and make breakfast. So made eggs for the kids, made toast for the kids, and now it finally came to my turn. I, I, like, a, I like a sunny side as opposed to a um, into, into a scrambled my boys really love scrambled, so scrambled eggs for them. I actually had some leftovers, so I kind of actually had a play at some fried rice. So of the Chinese that I pulled out, I pulled out just the white rice and put that into the pan to heat up and start softening. Threw some butter in there. Threw some. I threw an egg so that I could get beaten into it, knowing that I was going to then fry another egg to put on top. But as this is going, I see the normal seasonings that I'm going to put in there. I'm going to put in the uh, salt. I'm going to put in the ground black pepper. I uh, might go with a little bit of the musket powder stuff. Thought about maybe about doing that. Thought about doing the westward stuff that I had. I got some of that small game rest or that small game mix up there still. That I was like, ooh, that might be really good. And then I saw my uh, umami shake that was just sitting there, and I thought. What a better time to try this out. So as everything was put together and simmering down, I had the carrots and I had the onions and I had the peas that were left over. We're all into this and just a really nice big hash. I took that shake and I just shook it right over the top and gave an even layer across the top. But I kept my pepper and I kept my salt the same. Those were the only two other seasonings that I put into this. If I was going to make a control, if all of a sudden I was going to come out and say, let's see if this makes a difference, this was the way I was going to do it. I wasn't going to try to doctor it up too much to have too many factors in the way. Let that all come up to heat. Let that start to really brown up. Pulled it off, put it in the bowl, made myself an egg or a fried egg to go on top, being at sunny side. Threw that on. All right down the hatch. What do I think of this? My initial reaction was, I've made this a bunch of times, but this happens to be my favorite. Everything just sang inside of this dish. I was tasting not just cooked carrots, but I was tasting like what a carrot should taste like. And the onions that had caramelized, I wasn't just tasting a little bit of onion, but I was like, man, check out the complexity of this yellow onion. Like it was that defiant that it was coming out and I could just totally tell what was going on with, with, with all those different flavors. I could taste the egg that was not only on top that yolk, that creamy, amazing, pungent yolk, but at the same time I could even taste the yolk or the, excuse me, the eggs that were mixed in as the scrambled part with the uh, the rice. The rice being the vehicle, I mean, that it just tasted like, like rice. But everything else just was really up in my face. It was just really forward. And I didn't have to load the things up, thing up with salt. I didn't have to have 15 different 
seasonings to go along with this. This was just simply awakening my palate to enjoy each of the individual ingredients. So I'm reveling on about this. And my wife, she can't stand any more of it. She's like, all right, sounds good. I, I don't need to hear you ramble on more about this. And I take a large sip of my coffee that is brewed onto the side. And can I tell you that it even changed the way that my ta- like coffee tastes. Like, it didn't just go from, like, I'm drinking this black li- black liquid to, this black bitter liquid to make me wake up. But now I could sense the different notes. Like, I felt like a connoisseur of coffee, as if someone were to sniff wine or bourbon and tell you about, like, oh, this one's got uh, layers of toffee and leather and yada yada, whatever uh, those sauciers tell you, like, I was actually witnessing that in my own cup of coffee. I was like, wow, this isn't just bitter, but it's got some nutty notes and it is a flavored coffee and I can taste the flavoring and it just really sang out. That first experience using that shake really kind of set me as to say, you know what? I think, I think we're really onto something. So then it came to the big test, the backstrap. Here's how I use it on backstrap. You could use this on any piece of meat, any steak, any style that you're going to already be cooking it. But as I put that onto the counter to rest for the time that it took to get up to room temperature, and as I'm going to go over and prepare the coals, I end up putting on salt, pepper, and the umami shake. Get that layered up, and I season it just like I normally would. Both sides of just one of the backstraps. I get a completely different plate, and I do one in just salt and pepper. Fast forward process. A reverse sear on a charcoal grill. I get it up to 115. I rest it. I put it. I pull out my probes. I put it onto the sear heat. Get that awesome color because I've already added on the mayo. Pulled off both of them. Let them rest again. Slice uh, cross grain. Eh, about three-eighths to half-inch, and then I'm ready for plating. I go and I give one, I get, take two pieces, one from each cut, and I walk them over to my wife, who is actually, <laughs> at that time, in the middle of a Zoom call. So she eats the one, and she looks at me as she's chewing on it, and she kind of gives me the, like, it delicious backstrap. Like, I don't know if you were ask, if you were looking for something different, And so then I hand her the second and she takes a bite of that. She chews on that and you kind of see her eyebrow like lift a little little bit. And then she goes ahead, puts herself on mute and says, yeah, number two, that that's a good one. And then goes back to her meeting. Number two was the umami shake. I got, I got the wife to really like raise her eyebrow at it. She really did enjoy that. And so that was automatically to me like the biggest hit of what this is going to be. So reveling in the YouTube video that I have where they had a very warm reception to this shake, I am just, I guess, here to back that up, that I also had a very uh, positive reaction to adding this shake onto my food, whether it be breakfast items, eggs, uh, being fried eggs or even just uh, uh, fried rice with an egg on top of it. Um, this can go even to another step where 
uh, you're throwing it on your pieces of meat that as you're waiting for that meat to come up to room temperature, instead of adding more salt to get more flavor to come out, add a normal amount of salt and then add this shake on top. It doesn't add a whole lot more of salt. This will help keep your salt content down, but in the result, giving you more flavor amplification. I could see this even being used on vegetables as you're roasting vegetables and they are different notes that come out, whether it be carrots or whether it be Brussels sprouts or whether it be asparagus, uh, even beets, all these things that are just going to awaken up, add this shake to them instead of more salt. And I think we're going to get an amazing reaction uh, from our own palate that we're going to enjoy those even more. And I mentioned earlier too that as I was making this, like I, I was like, all right, I gotta see how others are also recepting this. And that's where I came across that second YouTube channel being Chef Steps. Um, if you've been on that channel, you understand they really kind of take the food science aspect where they're gonna be looking at things and trying to figure things out in a scientific method. So I was really inspired or I was really excited to see that they themselves had made their own. But they had done a couple different things. Um, the way he had made his was really pushing on the mushroom aspect. He went with mushrooms, shallots, and wasn't tomatoes. Did he add the anchovies? Maybe. But then the garlic as well. He added those four items for sure, be it the mushrooms, the onions, the garlic, and maybe the, uh, or the shallots. That's what he had used. The other item that I saw that they were using was um, Worcestershire, Worcestershire sauce. Worcestershire, Worcestershire. Even as a foodie, I can't quite figure that out. But you know what I'm talking about. Sprinkle that all on top of it, and that's just to deepen everything out. The step that he added was that whole concoction went into the oven first. Oven, broiler. Whatever you've got, whatever you're using at that point, just to brown everything up. That's going to make things pop. I mean, we know color gives flavor. Why not do that to our shake? So he browned his a little bit, pulled it out, and then that whole mess went into the dehydrator. And then the steps were as it followed. Now, his was already portioned out. Instead of the individuals like we had added together, he had mixed all his together in the wet form, roasted it, dehydrated it all together. Then that went into the uh, the grinder and presented as a shake. His big thing he was showing off was throwing that on popcorn. That sounds like an awesome movie night to try out. I'm going to take my shake and I'm going to amp up the popcorn that I have next time that we, we choose to uh, watch a movie. I think that's going to be an awesome move. So I will make sure to put links in the show notes below of my resources. I don't necessarily think that I have found something unique, but I think I have found something that's going to take your meals to the next level. Think about making your own umami shake. I refer to it as my umami bomb. That if I'm going to take a meal and I'm going to amp it up or I'm going to take whatever it is and I just really want to make it sing, I'm going to add a shake of that. 
and see where that takes me. I think this is going to be something that as we try to make more dishes and we really want to get things to taste the way that we want, this is going to be a much healthier alternative than to just throw more salt onto things. But Nick, you're throwing MSG on. You're right. Natural MSG. Hopefully I didn't scare you away with uh, the whole MSG, monosunium glutamate talk. Hopefully I've encouraged you to try something new. I mean, you've got that dehydrator already sitting on that shelf, either in the garage or in the basement or somewhere in the kitchen. You haven't used it in a while. Last time you used it was to make jerky. Why don't you make it now? If you're a gardener, what better way to use your surplus that you have of your tomatoes that are coming out? If you're talented enough to grow onions, hey, this is a great time to do that. I'm sure those growers, those uh, farm market stands are going to be blowing up with produce. This is the time to do it. So I would say jump in, grab those extra items that are ripe, ready to go. Enjoy them in their in their app, their uh, their ripeness right now. But at the same time, grab an extra few slice them up, dry them out, mix them together, and shake it on your stuff and see if it doesn't make things better. But whether you go ahead and make the shake or not, at least keep your knives sharp.